Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Uh, Joining us here for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, glad to welcome back Jason Trejo, the Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, thank you for dropping by here on a Tuesday afternoon. Great to be with you as always and looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here on a Tuesday. Jason, understandably so in consideration of what has been a tumultuous year for markets, I think that's fair to say at this point, investors have sought to draw comparisons to times past in order to perhaps inform their market outlook or portfolio decisions going forward. I'm curious, what periods have come to mind and for what reasons? Well, the nature of doing any kind of empirical analysis of markets means we're always looking at historical data to try to get a sense of understanding like what could happen going forward. But they can also be distilled down to sort of you know, general kind of you know, market environments, economic environments, and sort of you know how do they look and how do they compare to what we are right now. So given that we have an inflation level of you know, 8%, the highest has been since the early 1980s, and the Fed is aggressively raising rates to try and bring inflation down, it's natural to look to that period as a as a template to get some sort of sense of of what could happen as the Fed hikes. And, and in general, we can look at any sort of time period where the Fed has gone through a hiking cycle and to see, like, were they able to achieve a soft landing or not. But, you know, in the early 80s, because the inflation levels, you know, often sort of invoked, it's also, we looked at the 1970s, you know, because that was a period of high inflation and low growth, like stagflation, and there was the fear and concerns that, you know, we could devolve into something along those lines. But there's also some optimistic scenarios, like 1994 is a good example, where the Fed embarked on a fairly aggressive rate hiking cycle. They raised the Fed funds rate 200 basis points in about 13 months, uh, which included like two 50 basis point hikes and one 75 basis point hike. And we could get at least, you know, three fifties this time in very short order. And the good news in that scenario was that the Fed actually achieved a soft landing because they hiked until early 1995, paused a little bit, ended up cutting rates a little bit later in 1995. And of course, then we had like another half decade of very good economic growth. There's also some more ominous comparisons, you know, to like 2000, 2008, when we've had bubbles bursting, you know, the dot-com in 2000, the real estate bubble uh, in 2008. um, And, you know, for those who believe that, you know, a lot of asset valuations have been inflated by bubbles, um, whether it's equities or real estate, you know, just in the past couple of years, could we start to see some of those bubbles bursting? Uh, so there's there's a lot of different comparisons. You know, those are you know, so there's a variety of ones that people invoked. Nothing is perfect, but each has elements that look a little bit similar to what we have today. It is interesting to hear about these comparisons and hear about these takeaways. And it ties right in, Jason, to a recent blog you authored. You discuss how the year 2018, I just gave away the blog's title, but 2018 is often neglected to be mentioned in this context. And from your vantage point, it deserves some consideration. So why is that? Well, there's a certain you know, similarities, uh, you know, actually quite a few similarities. If we think about 2018, it was sort of a choppy year. Uh, you know, as, as a trade war with U.S. and China sort of began. But if you then kind of go to the award, the end of the third quarter in September and then through the fourth quarter, it became a period of time where, you know, equities sold off a lot. Ultimately, the S&P 500 fell 20% if we measure by intraday low. I think that was, it might have been Christmas Eve of, of 2018. Ultimately closed, um, you know, so it never officially you know, broached that 20% in you know, a drawdown if you measure by kind of closing prices. Uh, but it was a rapid acceleration you know, in, in December. Likewise, we've seen, you know, this year a choppy environment that accelerated in the past, uh, you know, six weeks since early April. 
on last Friday, the S&P 500 was down over 20% from its peak, but ultimately kind of closed up on Friday, similar to that experience a couple of years ago. Uh, there was uh, also a Fed hiking cycle back then. Uh, the Fed hiked in October of 2018. They also hiked in mid-December of 2018. Got the Fed funds rate to basically the two and a quarter, two and a half percent, what their view of, of neutral is, and that's what they wanted to get to. But there were certainly concerns that the Fed had over-tightened and was slowing growth. Likewise, we have the Fed engaging in a hiking cycle right now. Still a ways to go to get a Fed funds rate of two and a half percent, but they could be there, you know, in just in a few months or in a few quarters. Um, but the market's also already kind of moved and priced in uh, a significant amount, and financial conditions have tightened even more in this sort of hiking episode than they did back in 2018. We had concerns about slowing growth um, in December of, of 18. The ISM fell to 55, and that's kind of its current reading right now. So the growth concerns were an issue, and also there's just liquidity in the markets was poor. Um, now, in 18, part of that was just the time of year. It was December when things were getting bad. And, you know, portfolio managers, investors don't really want to go into year-end taking positions that they can't easily get out of, if, you know, during the holiday time period. So there was fewer few buyers who wanted to step in. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now is, is not many investors really seem to want to step in and buy given, you know, the extreme volatility. So you map that all out. A lot of what we've seen thus far looks and has similarities to, you know, to 2018. So, Jason, what do you feel needs to perhaps materialize or factors that need to fall into place in order for risk assets, U.S. equities in particular, to turn around and achieve a sustained rally going forward? Well, another aspect about the 2018 comparison that, that makes it sort of tantalizing is that after the markets fell and the S&P was down on Christmas Eve nearly 20%, uh, between Christmas and New Year's, it started to bounce back on the volatility. And then in early January, you had the Fed and Jay Powell specifically come out and sort of sound a more dovish tone. And pretty soon in the year, they start to cut rates. So you had basically the Fed pivot from a very kind of you know, hawkish positioning where the hiking rates, and suddenly they turned more dovish. And that was really what the catalyst, aside from perhaps things being a little bit oversold, you had the Fed sort of pivot. Now, so in order for something to turn around this time, we need the macro environment, the market environment that's been dominant really this year to alter in some way. And we have a situation right now where you know, it's high inflation, well above the 2% target that the Fed wants. We have a tight labor market uh, that's leading to like, elevated wage growth, a level higher than what the Fed would think is sort of sustainable long term to get inflation down to below you know, 4%, even below 3%, consistent with a 2% target. So if that's the environment, you have a Fed that is very much focused on trying to bring inflation down by tightening financial conditions and ultimately getting economic growth, GDP growth below 2% or below trend to try and cool the environment. If that's the case, it's a difficult environment for risk assets, and that's what we've seen this year. So in order to get something replicating the other half of the 2018 experience, or let's call it the 2019 experience, where you started to bounce back, you need something to change in terms of the inflation outlook, you know, where it becomes more benign, it starts to really kind of, you know, moderate more clearly and people become more comfortable with that. And or you need the Fed to sort of pivot away from kind of a really hawkish rate hiking path and it's hawkish rhetoric. And all while growth doesn't slow down too much where people are concerned about a recession. Now, it seems perhaps, and we see these days of extreme volatility, that looks a little bit unlikely, but it may be better than, it's, uh, than people might think for a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, the key to the whole inflation outlook, you know, and the Fed's ultimately kind of hiking path is what happens in the labor market. And if the labor market tightness were to ease and wage growth were to moderate. And there is some preliminary indications that you're starting to see some labor market cooling. Uh, you know, initial jobless claims that come out every Thursday, those are actually ticking up a little bit. 
there's some measures of job openings uh, and job listings have come down. You're starting to see a report uh, of you know, increases in the number of job cuts, at least the highest in a year. So there's some softening of the labor market, still very tight, but maybe not quite as tight as it was. If that starts to translate into slower wage growth, that is kind of a key because that means inflation should continue to moderate you know, once other factors kind of play out. And that's really what the Fed is most focused on. Now, in the short term, while inflation is high, the Fed is unlikely to want to change its kind of, you know, its tone, its hawkish rhetoric, until it really kind of gains confidence that inflation is coming down. If growth starts to slow quite significantly, then, you know, that could, could also alter the Fed's dynamic. That appears unlikely to happen, and at least in the very near term of the next few months, it's probably more of a fourth quarter time frame where that could start to materialize. For the time, the Fed is likely to be on a, you know, on a you know, continuous kind of you know, current path. Um, but what could also happen is, as opposed to a really dovish pivot, the Fed might just start to sort of acknowledge that financial conditions have kind of, you know, they think have tightened enough to kind of start to slow growth, uh, commensurate what they think is necessary to bring inflation down. Uh, they can update their economic forecasts that are consistent with that. So it's not a pivot, but they're kind of signals that the Fed is sort of happy with what's happened thus far in terms of, you know, higher rates, tightening conditions that would slow growth. If they were to, you know, indicate some of those lines, that sort of implied that, you know, right, Things have sold off enough. They don't want them to sell off anymore. This lets see how this sort of plays out in terms of kind of bringing growth down. You know, we don't know when any of these things could materialize. It could be not until later this year. It could be, the, you know, in September. But even over the next month, if, if inflation data and the labor market looks like it's cooling, we can start to get some indication as soon as is June for the Fed to start at least dialing back things. I think that's, that's probably on the optimistic side. But, you know, this is sort of what would be necessary for the, to really kind of get a turn in this environment, similar to what we have happened at the end of 2018 going into 2019. Time will tell as to how certain factors will play out, though. From what you can gather, Jason, if you were to bottom line it for us, how likely do you feel that history will repeat itself in this context? Put another way, is a 2018-style market recovery, which you just described for us, is that feasible here in 2022? Well, I think the recovery of that magnitude is certainly unlikely. If you go from Christmas Eve on 2018 to Christmas Eve on 2019, the S&P was up about 40, 45%. So I think we're not going to see that kind of recovery over the next 12 months, just given valuations, given that inflation is still likely to be high for a while and growth is probably going to continue to slow through year end. And it might be well into 2023 before we know if we're actually achieving sort of a soft landing. So expecting that kind of bounce back is uh, is unlikely. You know, given kind of where we are, could we you know be up 10%? That's certainly feasible. The key is, is whether that is just is it a bear market rally or something more sustained. I think if you did see inflation come down and the Fed's able to pull back while growth is holding steady, then that could be you know a continuation of sort of the markets gradually moving higher as opposed to kind of a head fake. And this is just sort of like a technical rally off of you know really kind of weak sentiment. Um, so I think we won't replicate that experience, but we could get something where it does kind of turn and turn as you know, the Fed's policy changes, which is conditional in the macro environment. Um, you know, and if that happens, I think then it's, we're talking about a more sustained rally. If not, you know, it could be continual fitness starts of the markets moving higher over the course of a week or two, especially given how much has been sold off and how much investors have already de-risked. And we you know, have to acknowledge that there are risks that things could get worse. There are external factors in China and Ukraine that could certainly weigh on U.S. growth. Um, there could be domestic factors. Things could be slowing more than we anticipate uh, or expect based on the amount of you know, Fed tightening that's already taken place. But what we can see would suggest that, you know, that's that's unlikely, but a significant bounce back. I think a lot of things have to kind of go, you know, you know, correct. 
and we may not get that until you know, much later in the year. But markets are, are smart and they're forward-looking, and if things sort of start to pivot a little bit, they kind of sniff it out sooner, and it could happen even before you know I'm anticipating at this point in time. Well, very thought-provoking as to how conditions might play out over the second half of 2022. Uh, a lot of interesting considerations here. I will, again, point our listeners and their clients to Jason's blog, which Jason has been tying into our conversation today on The Snapshot. That title is 2018, and the blog is now available for you up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Of course, our clients of UBS can simply reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the blog directly. Though, uh, Jason, as always, thank you very much for dropping by the podcast. Always an interesting conversation and looking forward to picking back up with it again soon. Thank you, Dan. Have a good week. You as well. Thank you, Jason. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.